Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 15. 2 Chronicles 15, let's read from verse 1. The Bible says this, The Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Obed. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa. Listen to me, Asa. And all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you, Judah, when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought Him, and He was found by them. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, I just thank You for Your Word, and I thank You for Your presence. I I just thank You that Your Word is truth, and that Your Word has the power to change our lives, um, has the power to change the life of this church, our city, our nation, and our eternal destinies. So this morning, Lord, as we look at this word, I I just pray that you will open our eyes, that we would see it with fresh eyes, that we would get a fresh revelation, a passion to seek you like never before, Lord God, and to know you in a greater and a deeper way. Father, let there be nothing in me that hinders this word. Bind every spirit of fear and intimidation. Let there be a spirit of revelation to understand your word today, I pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I'm going to begin a new series uh, this morning entitled, Will You Not Revive Us Again? Uh, One of the things that I do is pray. I'm sort of planning sermon series uh, a few months in advance. And uh, as I was praying about what to share in January, I had these ideas, different ideas. And then I just felt, you know, just speak on revival. And and certainly that's what I want to do uh, this morning. And, And certainly for the month of January, share a few thoughts, a few messages on this really important topic. Title for this series comes out of Psalm 85, Will You Not Revive Us Again? That your people may rejoice in you. It's the cry of the psalmist of God to God. I believe it needs to be the cry of the church. I believe it needs to be the cry of the church of Jesus Christ. Will you not revive us again, Lord God? Will you not move amongst us again, Lord God? Because above all else, what we need is a move of God. I think it's fair to say that we're living in some difficult times in the world today. Um, and uh, as we look at the, at the world, we're seeing a, a moral decline and the secularization of society, just the, the removal of God. There's a, the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well. How many people would say an amen to that? There's a, the spirit of the Antichrist is, is very real. It's an anti-Jesus. It's an Antichrist. But how powerful, how powerful over the last two weeks that we've been able to see the church out as Chris was saying, a church gathering together to worship and glorify God. But in society, uh, we're seeing an erosion of biblical values, 
the blatant rebellion against the things of God. It's just, it's just amazing. Uh, it's just amazing to actually see what's happening in our society in relation to the things of God. It feels like evil has been gaining momentum and, and rather than slowing down, uh, it just seems to be gaining momentum and, and, and getting worse. And, and, and you know, uh, it, it, people just seem to allow it to, to, to just happen. And, and we shouldn't be surprised by what's happening in the world today because the Bible says in the last days there's going to be some terrible times. People be lovers of themselves, you know, narcissism, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, instead lovers of evil, calling what's, what's good bad and what's bad good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. These are certainly the marks of the end times and a, a great description of the world that we're living in today. And the question for me in the midst of all of this is, well, what's going to change it? That's, that's the question that interests me. I don't want to just be a thermometer and measure the spiritual temperature of our society. I want to be a thermostat and change the temperature that's happening around. Can I hear an amen? As a church, we're not just going to say well, what's going on in the world. I want to say, okay, this is what's going on in the world. What difference can we make? It's going to change all of this. It's going to change the moral climate in our nation, the moral temperature in our nation. As I thought about this, I thought, well, maybe it's going to be a sermon, Joe. Maybe it's all up to you. Maybe you just need to prepare that one sermon, that one sermon that's going to just change everything and change the nation. No, I got rid of that, crossed that one off the list straight away immediately. That ain't going to happen. Maybe it's a program. Maybe if as a church we come up with a program, a new glitzy program, maybe that's going to do it, or a new marketing campaign, maybe that's going to change the climate of the temperature, oh, the, the spiritual climate of our nation. What is it that's going to make the greatest difference in the world today for Jesus? Or should we be even asking that question? Maybe there's nothing we can do. Maybe we just need to accept the moral decline. We just need to gather together in groups like we're doing, hold hands, sing kumbaya, and wait for the return of the Lord. Maybe that's what we need to do. Forget this trying to change things. Nothing's going to change. We just read it in the text. But Mark, these terrible times are coming. There's nothing we can do. Just let it be. Maybe that's all we need to do, except the times that we're living. I don't know about you. It doesn't sit right with me. Because the Bible says that in the last days, that things are going to get worse. But the Bible also says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, says the Lord. And I want to be a part of what the Lord is doing in the end. I don't want to be a part of what the devil is doing. I want to be a part of what God is doing in the last days. And as I thought about all of this, I felt like the only answer is a revival. It's a move of God. I felt like the only thing that's going to make a real difference in the world that we're living today is an awakening, a supernatural visitation from God, the kind that we've read about in history, the kind that we've read through, through, through history in, in England and, and America and different nations of the world, a move of God, a revival, an awakening. When the early church uh, was being threatened, we looked at this message a few weeks ago. What did they do? They were being threatened by a by a secular society, uh, uh, people that had no respect for God. How, what, how did the church respond to that? How did the church respond to an environment that was anti-Christ, anti-Jesus? I tell you what they did. They gathered together and they prayed 
and they saw God. They prayed. They said this. What did they pray for? They said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, after they prayed. I love that phrase, after they prayed. Because they prayed. After they prayed. Not before they prayed. It was after they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken. I'm looking forward to this place being shaken. In the name of Jesus. I know we've got some pretty big beams under behind these walls. We'll be able to handle a shaking. This place will be able to... The, after they met, the place where they, was meet, where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak the word of God with boldness. I tell you, if there's something the church needs today... It's, it's that. It's right there. Right there. It's captured right there. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. That's the answer for the world we're living in today. It's Paul, you know, goes on to say to Timothy about the marks of the last days. He says, you know, but Mark, this will be terrible times and there'll be lovers of themselves but rather than lovers of God, etc., etc., etc. That was verses 1 to 4. Verse 5 says this, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. I kind of feel like it's a, a description of the church in some ways. We have a, a form. I don't, I don't want to be part of a church that has a form of godliness, but denying the power, but no power of the Holy Spirit amongst us. Thank God that's not this church. Can I hear an amen? Come on. I'm talking about those other churches. You know the ones I'm talking about. We can't mention their names. <laughs> what we need to do as a church more than ever is cry out to God and say, oh God, give us boldness to speak the word. Stretch out your hand to heal. Move with signs and wonders. And let there be a shaking that takes place in the church of Jesus Christ. I believe more than ever, the answer for the world today is a revival. It's an awakening. It's, 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 it's more than just a sermon. It's more than just a program. It's more than just another campaign. What we need is a supernatural move of God. Somehow God needs to intervene into the situation that we're living in today. And this brings us to ask a question, okay, if that's the answer, then how can we experience a revival in our lives and in the life of the church? Okay, if the revival is the answer, well then how? How do we experience one of those? As we look at history, there are some key elements in every revival. As you, as you study history and as you study the revivals of history, there were some key elements in every single one. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about some of those elements. One of those factors was prayer. It was a church that was seeking after God. You've heard me say before, you don't get revival by seeking revival. Nothing wrong with praying for revival. Nothing wrong with praying, oh God, move amongst us. But ultimately, you get a revival by seeking God. It's where every revival begins. It started with a, with a, with a, with a every revival of history started with a group of people that have prayed and interceded, stood in the gap on behalf of the nation. Oswald J. Smith said, go, if you will, to the records of the Great Awakenings. For years past, and you will find that the secret, the source has been prayer. God has burdened a little group there, here and there, sometimes only two or three in number. But those have so given themselves to intercessory prayer that the result has been a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
just read a, finished reading a book on, on, uh, on, on church growth and, and prayer and, and these two things. Just, I've just been so blessed to read, so motivated, so encouraged to read this book. Uh, here's here's um, what one English preacher, Sidlow Baxter, said. I've posted, pastored only three churches in more than 60 years of ministry and we've had revival in every one. Not one of them came as a result of my preaching. They came as a result of, of membership entering into a covenant to pray until revival came and it did come every single time. I don't know about you, but I read that, I read that quote and it did something inside of me. It did something inside of me because so often as, as a leadership, we're sitting around tables and what shall we do next? What's going to make the greatest difference? And then I read a quote like this and I say to myself, you know what the answer, the answer is prayer. It's a church uniting together, gathering together to seek the face of God. I want to see a revival. It begins by God's people crying out to God. I want us uh, to unpack this thought by Looking at a revival that occurred in the Old Testament, we read about it in our text, and my prayer is that through this, that we're going to be encouraged, motivated to see God move amongst us. One of the kings of Judah that was used by God to usher in a revival was King Asa. Um, uh, the Bible says about Asa, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. King Asa lived at a time where Judah worshipped foreign gods. They had idols, sacred pillars. There was great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another. There was great distress amongst the people of God and in the times that they were living in. And into this kind of situation, Asa becomes king and he establishes a number of reforms that turned the whole nation around. One of the key reforms that King Asa implemented was he led the people of Judah to seek God and to cry out to God. Stories recounted in, in chapter 15, and let me give you a few principles that come out, really simple principles that come out of this. But you know, I've always found that the church knows about prayer. We believe in prayer. We understand about prayer. The challenge when it comes to prayer is the actual praying itself. Uh, but let me just pull out a few principles out of here. I just pray going to inspire us as a church and motivate us. The first principle is the promise of prayer. Uh, we read about it in verse, verse 1 and 2. Uh, um, Spirit of God came on Azariah. He went out to meet Asa and he says, Listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. Lord is with you and you're with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. In a nation where there was great turmoil, in, in, a, in a nation where the people had turned away from God, in a nation where they were worshipping idols, God comes in and he speaks and he gives them a promise. And he says to them, listen to me carefully. I understand what's happening in the world around you right now, but here's a promise for you, Israel and Judah. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Don't focus on what's happening around you. You focus on seeking God because if you seek God, he's going to be found by you. This was a promise for Asa. It's a promise for us as individuals. It's a promise for us as a church. If we want to see a move of God, if we want to see an outpouring of the Spirit of God, one of the ways it's going to happen is we need to seek God. We need to seek God. It's a theme that runs right throughout Scripture. It's very interesting because I, 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 I feel like the more I pray, the less I know how to pray. Pastor Joe, I, know, I understand we need to pray. I don't always know how to pray. Come back to that in a minute. But I think one of, one, of, one of the great prayers that we need to pray 
I was speaking with Pastor Tarkbana from New Zealand and we were just chatting a little bit about prayer, the concept of prayer. And he said to me, one of, he said to me, he, as a guy that prays, he said to me, one of the prayers I pray every time is, Lord, teach me how to pray. Disciples asked, uh, asked uh, two things from Jesus. They said, increase our faith and teach us how to pray. I think it's a great prayer to pray. I think all of us need to, we understand the power of prayer. We understand, we un, we understand that, that how powerful prayer can be and, and, yet, and yet we don't always know how to pray. Well, well, that's a reality. The greatest thing that we can do is, is pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach me, Lord God, how to pray. Teach me how to pray. One of the ways it's gonna happen is we need to seek God. Jeremiah 19, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's an, it's an analogy. It's not like God is hiding somewhere. It's not like, you know, you're like you've lost your keys. If you seek him, you're going to find him. You know, it's, God, God is not like hiding somewhere in a corner where, where you know, he's playing high and see If we seek him, we're going to find him. It's not that. It's an imagery of that. The imagery is that. But if we seek after God, he's going to respond. As we draw nearer to God, he draws nearer to us. Deuteronomy 4, God tells the people of Israel what to do if they sin. But if from there, after you've repented, if from there you seek the Lord, your God, you find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Hosea says, come, let us return to the Lord. It's Hosea speaking to the nation that had drifted away from God. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wound. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come. As, as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Deuteronomy 4, 7, one of my favorite scriptures. I just love this scripture. It says, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? What other nation is like our nation? What other nation has a God like our God who is, who is near us when we pray to him, when we seek him? Jesus said, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. It's, it's, it's the power of prayer. And of course, there's the great revival verse which says, if my people were called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and we'll heal their land. If my people. He, he, here it is, man. We could just stop right here. Let's, let's, just, let's just stop and reflect. Selah. Let's stop and reflect. If my people who are called by my name. Who is that? That's you and me. It's not a verse directed to the world. It's not a verse directed to the government. It's not a, a verse directed to the media. It's not a verse that's directed to the professors at our university. It's, it's not a verse directed. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, which means they weren't humble before God, and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'm going to hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and we'll heal their land. It's just powerful. We should just stop and think. We don't need any more than this. This is enough right here. It's enough for us to go, okay, what do we need to do? Where do we go from here? God gave King Asa a promise. The Lord is with you when you're with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. 
And I don't want us to take that pro- promise lightly. I don't want us to just, just gloss over this promise and, and just take it lightly. God promises his presence and his power if we will seek after him. And if there's one thing that we need as a church, it's we need the, present of, of, we need the presence of God. We need God to be present. We need God to be present amongst us. We need his presence. Every time we gather together as a church, every time the youth gathers, what they need is God to be present. Every Sunday school needs, God's to, be, needs God to be present. Every life group needs God to be present. What we need above all else is God to be present. We need him near us. We don't need him in the kitchen if we're meeting in the lounge room. We need him in the lounge room. That's where we need him. We need the Lord to be with us because when God is present, he, bring, he begins to speak. He begins to heal, to release, to set free, to restore families, marriages. Eyes are opened. Ears are opened. It's, it's, it's when God is present, there's a conviction of sin. It's not condemnation. There's a difference. Condemnation makes you feel bad. Conviction says, hey, Joe, you could be living differently. You shouldn't be doing what you're doing right now. It's a very positive thing. It's a loving thing. In the presence of God, there's the conviction of sin. In the presence of God, there's a revelation of grace and mercy and love. There's an understanding. God loves me. God loves me. What the church needs is the power and the presence of God. And God promises if we seek him, we're going to find him. Second thing we notice from the text is the response to the promise. Notice what Asa did. When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Obed, the prophet, he took courage, removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. Question for me is how did the idols get there? Just think about it. Here's Asa. He's the king of Judah. This is Israel. This is God's people that came out of the promised land. And now He's having to remove the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin, which means somebody had actually erected those idols there. Someone had put those idols there. Someone had made a decision somewhere along the line and said, hey, why don't we put some idols up? Why don't we stop worshipping the living God and start to worship an idol? And Asa comes along and removes them. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. You know, um, it's, it's an interesting thing because those idols would have been there for many years and people would have got used to those idols. Along comes Asa and he said, this has got to go. And the first thing he does is he removes the idols and he restores worship. And of course, we don't worship idols today, do we? Come on, church. We don't worship idols. No, no. There's no idols in this church. We don't see any idols in this church. We don't see any statues in this church because we don't worship idols, do we? How many people know idol worship is alive and well? An idol doesn't have to be a physical statue. The Bible speaks about having idols in our hearts. It's whatever we look to for joy and peace, meaning and purpose, security other than God. Bible goes on to say, then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin, the people from Ephraim, Manasseh and, and, and Simeon who had settled among. And that time they sacrificed to the Lord 700 head of cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had brought back. What did they do? They began to worship the Lord. The sacrifice of animals was all about worship. They began to sing and worship God. We, it's our equivalent of that. And the sacrifices were a reflection of their love 
and adoration for God. Verse 12, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. And then it's verse 13, which I think is a great verse. It says this, listen really carefully. It says, all who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would, would be put to death. <laughs> no, it's not a great verse. I'm just, it was a joke. It was a joke, okay? <laughs> we're the smaller. And there's, there's a motivation to come to the prayer meeting. Uh, if you don't come to the prayer meeting, well, you won't be going to any other prayer meeting or anywhere else. Um, it's just really interesting. Anyway, so there was a joke, okay? Everywhere, okay. Settle. Um, I hope you're awake because you missed it. I mean, come on. You missed it. Uh, they took an oath to the Lord with, listen carefully. They took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting, and with the trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. Notice a few things from the text. They assembled together and they made a covenant to seek God. They assembled together, one voice, one mind, one people. They gathered together and they entered into a covenant to seek God. And it reminded me, as I, as I was reading that, it reminded me of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, where 120 people gathered together in an upper room. They gathered with one voice. There's, a, there's the Greek word homothudamum or something like that. They were in one accord. And they began to seek God and cry out to God. That's Acts chapter 1. 120 people gathered in an upper room seeking and God. Why? Because God had made a promise. He said, you go and wait and, and, and you're going to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. 120 people took that promise. Literally, they went there and they began to seek after God. Acts chapter 2, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon them. And the whole place was filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at the words that are used to describe their crying out to God with loud acclamation, with shouting and music, with their whole heart and soul. They sought God eagerly. They rejoiced about the oath. Wouldn't it be great if the church came together and made a covenant to seek the Lord? I kind of feel like if, if there's, if there's, if there's a, a strategy, you know, if there was only one, what would we do? I think the church needs to come together to seek God. We need to seek God. Seeing a revival is not that difficult in theory. It's the doing that's hard. And as a church, we've been gathering in January to pray, as we've already heard Chris talk about in the announcements and and we're praying and fasting for, for a number of years we've been doing this. And every time we do, the spiritual temperature of the church begins to change. It's a fact. We, we, we see it. We sense it in the services. Every time we, pray, we enter into a, a covenant as a church to pray and seek God, the spiritual temperature changes. What would happen to the church if we made a covenant to seek God? With loud acclamation, shouting and music, our whole heart and soul, eagerness and joy. What if we made a covenant to seek God in that way all year round? Not just in January for one week. But what if we did that all year round? What if, what if we began to seek? What about if we began to, to turn the heat up when it comes to prayer? We had Vicki Simpson share here at the beginning of December. And she shared a lot. It's funny because you hear sermons, but there are some things that really stick out. She said a, a lot of really great things. But, but the, the picture that I got in my mind, she said, I, 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 I see... Uh, the fire, uh, I see like it's like a gas thing, it's on low, but I just see it going up and see the temperature going up and the flame beginning to go, uh, you know, bigger. <laughs> uh, and I, 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 saw, and I, I pray that would become a reality for us. Yeah. What would happen to the church of Jesus? What would happen to this Life Christian Center if, if, the, if the prayer temperature, if the heat on prayer started to go up? A few notches. I'll tell you what would happen. <laughs> we would see God begin to move amongst us in a way we've never seen before. 
Often when we think about revivals, we think about the great awakenings in England and the USA. But Australia's had some of its own revivals. One occurred in 1840 in Parramatta, Sydney, with a man called John Watsford. Uh, he was in a Methodist church that was dying. Uh, he recounts this when he's older, and he, he, he records this. And this is what he says about the minister. The minister was old and worn out. I pray no one ever says that about. <laughs> he was a good guy, but he was old and worn out, you know. And this John Watsford, or this minister of the Methodist church, he didn't like people playing, praying. Obviously, they'd have people pray in the church. He didn't like people praying loud. So he banned some people from praying publicly in church. John Watsford was one of those people. He was banned from praying publicly in church. He was too loud. Um, not only was he banned, but there were these other two guys as well. They were banned as well. Too much energy in the prayer and too loud. He banned them from praying. So what these three guys did is they agreed, they, they entered into a covenant to pray three times a day for revival. This is, this is what they said. You can, you can get the story on the net. It says, one day the true brethren, uh, one day the two brethren to whom I have referred said to me, we are going specially to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the revival of God's work and we want, to, we want you to join us. This is our plan. This is, this is the, the, I'm just reading what, what actually happened. This is our plan. Every morning and evening and at midday to spend some time in pleading with God to pour out his spirit, to observe every Friday as a day of fasting and prayer, to sit together in the meetings and though not permitted to pray aloud, silently to plead for the coming of the Holy Ghost. I think they were a little afraid of me as they gave me this caution. Now, mind you, you must not say a word against our minister or have any unkind feeling toward him because he, do not, he does not allow us to take part in the meetings. He knows what he is doing and has his own reasons for it. If we complain or speak against him, the Lord will not hear our prayer. So just sit there, don't say nothing, and don't complain about it. Okay, uh, so we carried out our plan for one, two, three weeks. No one but God and ourselves knowing what we were doing. And at the end of the fourth week on Sunday evening, the Reverend William Walker preached a powerful sermon. And after the service, the people flocked to the prayer meeting till the schoolroom was filled. My two friends were there, one on each side of me, and I knew they had a hold of, of God. We could hear sighs and suppressed sobs all around us. The old minister of the, of the church who had conducted the meeting was concluding with the benediction, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. And there, here he stopped and sobbed aloud. And when he could speak, he called out, Brother Watsford, pray. And I prayed, and then my two friends prayed, and oh, the power of God that came upon the people who were overwhelmed by it to every part of the room. And what a cry for mercy. It was heard by the passers-by in the street, some of whom came running in to see what was the matter and were smitten down at the door in great distress. The clock of a neighboring church struck 12 before we could leave the meeting. How many were saved, I cannot tell, but day after day, Week after week, the work went on and many were converted, many, among them, many young people. That's the power of people covenanting together to pray and seek God in Parramatta, Parramatta, Sydney. Happened in our own nation. So we have the promise of prayer, the response, the covenant to pray, and then we have the outcome of prayer. 
Verse 15, they sought God eagerly and he was found by them. And so the Lord gave them rest on every side. He was found by them. Means God responded. And God moved amongst them. But God began to pour on their lives. Simple message. Promise of prayer. The covenant to pray. The response of the people. God gives a promise. If you seek him, you're going to find him. The people go, hey, that's a word from God. We're going to respond. They responded eagerly with shouts. And then as they prayed, there was the outcome. Seems so simple and yet so powerful. And history records the results of individuals and churches that took it seriously. And as a, as a church, I don't know about you, but I read these stories. I, 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 I say, okay, God, I, I pray, give us a revelation of this in our day and in our time. I don't want to just read about it. I, I, I want us to pray as a church. And as you know, January is a time when we dedicate time to prayer and fasting, and this year is going to be no different. And there's a few ways that you can get involved, as Chris has already said, January 8 to 14, um, just spend time of prayer and fasting you can fast for a day or two or three whatever you feel to do or do a Daniel fast a partial fast important thing is that we cry out to God there's the three nights of prayer Tuesdays 12 30 the church will be open uh, for prayer for at least at least half an hour or so during January every Tuesday 12 30 if you're in the city you want to come we're just going to open the auditorium no structure just come and pray and seek God and uh, and we would also like people to register to pray for one hour during the week you can book on um, uh, uh, oh, okay. Uh, it's kind of going to be like a prayer chain where you can book a slot uh, to pray, and you can you can also pray for more than one slot. You can book in for a few, not too many though, because we wouldn't want to overdo the prayer. You know what I mean? But uh, you can you can book in a few slots there. Uh, we want to cover uh, as much as the week as of, of possible in prayer. QR code, it'll take you to there to the website and so on. Um, uh, some people say, well, Pastor Joe, how do you pray for? I don't even know how to pray for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or let alone a half an hour or even an hour. So there's, there's a book on how to pray uh, available on the internet on our website. Just go in there. Uh, there's a couple of spots where you can access right at the top. Uh, you click a button and it'll take you to a book written by Chris Hodges. Um, and in there, there's a few models of, of how you can actually pray and use that. And then there are five specific things I want you to pray for. Five specific things I want you to pray for. Uh, these prayers are quite personal, and they are intentionally so. I got it from uh, a preacher called Bob Mumford. Some of you will know him, um, and a great, great, great man of God, being used by God in a powerful way. And uh, he was—I was listening to one of his messages that was completely unrelated, and he and he pulls out these five prayers, and I thought that's exactly what we need. Um, and these are these these prayers are very personal. The prayers are very personal because ultimately. Revival begins with you and me. As, as I was thinking, I said to the team, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to give four or five things for the, for the church to pray for during this, this, this week. And, uh, and, and as, I, as I thought about it, I thought, we need to pray you know, that, that God is going to move, we're going to see the miraculous, and so on and so on. And I, I want to pray for all of those things. Nothing wrong with any of that. But to me, that's secondary to these prayers here. Because ultimately, revival begins with you and me. And we don't get revival by seeking revival. We first of all get revival by seeking God. So he has five things to pray for. And we're going to wrap this up. First one is 
free me from distraction and clutter. Free me from distraction and clutter. Scripture, Hebrews 12.1, let us throw everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How many people know we, we are the most distracted, distracted generation that's ever lived? Clutter is everywhere. Look at our homes. You know, doesn't matter how many cupboards you've got, we'll fill them up with junk. How many hoarders do we have in the congregation? There's a few in the name of Jesus. Oh, we need another room. You, fit, you get another room, you're just going to fill it up with more junk. You need to get a bigger shed. You're just going to fill it up with more junk. So, and that's, that's a, to me, that's a kind of a metaphor for what's happening in our lives. It's a physical representation of what's happening in our heads. Our heads are cluttered with so much stuff. To me, it's a distraction. Let us throw off, says the writer to the Hebrews, everything that hinders. And notice the distinction between everything that hinders and the sin because there are some things that hinder that are not necessarily sinful. We got to take our kids here. We got to take our kids there. They got to do this. And they need this other program and sport and this and that. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. And we just need to pray about that. I don't want anyone to start feeling condemned this morning. It's not about condemning. I don't want you to walk out of here feeling condemned. That's what the enemy wants to do. All I want you to do is pray. Simple. I want you to just pray. Say, Lord, is there some stuff in my life that I need to deal with? Is there some clutter? Do I need to order a mini skip, Lord God, to get rid of some of the clutter, Lord God? That's all I'm saying. I don't want you to go, oh, you know, the devil wants to condemn you. Don't, I don't want you to walk out of here feeling condemned. What I want you to do is pray. Say, Lord, is there something that I need to shift out of my life that's getting in, my, in the way of my devotion to you. We haven't got time to pray because our lives are cluttered, because we're distracted. Number two, forgive me of self-will. Some of these were negative. I was going to put them in a positive way to make you feel good. They kind of sound negative. I, again, you know, I think we need to sometimes, we need, we need truth. We need to get back. If we want to see a revival, we need to ask ourselves some tough questions. Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So often we've got our own agendas, our own dreams, our own ambitions that get in the way of what God wants to do in our life. It's the good that gets in the way of great. Jesus says, I've come to do my will. Sorry, I've come to do my Father's will, not my will. Listen, seek after the... It's a prayer I pray every day. Lord, I just want to do your will. I just want to be in the center of your presence. If your presence doesn't go with me, don't send me up from here. Self-will. Forgive me of self-will. Father, help me to know your will. To do your will. Number three, release me from idolatry. People of Israel have set up idols in their hearts and fallen into sin. 
No one wakes up one morning and says, today I'm going to worship an idol. Let me go, let me go to the shops. Let me grab a statue. And I'm going to set it up in my home. I'm going to have some little candles under there. We're going to light the candles. I'm going to worship an idol in my home. No Christian ever does that. You know what happens with idols? They creep in. They start off with this little one in the corner. They just, they, they just got this little, and then they grow and they grow as we worship them. They grow. So I, I don't know. They could, and and, and the, re, the reality is we, we worship idols and we don't know we're doing it. We're looking to this thing to give me peace, joy, and security. And when they do not have the power to bring me peace, joy, and security, only God can do that. You cannot serve God and mammon. Either you serve one or the other. You cannot serve both. Father, is, is there an idol that's crept into my heart? Is there something I'm looking to, Lord God? Instead of looking to you, is there something I'm looking to? Number four, open my ears and eyes so I can hear your voice again. This, this scripture here is the most quoted scripture in the New Testament. It's the most quoted Old Testament scripture that's quoted in the New Testament. 15 times. It says, For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. It's a powerful scripture. What's happened is as a church, our, our, our hearts have become calloused, hard. We can no longer hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. We can no longer see what God is doing. Because if we could see and if we could hear, we would change and God would come. So again, I know it's kind of negative, but Mumford is just a very negative person. You know what I mean? It's not my fault. I'm only joking. He's an amazing speaker. But this is true. Come on, how many people know? Am I speaking the truth here? Amen. If you walk out of here condemned, that's your problem. That's not because I've done it, okay? This is, this is a prayer to pray. Lord, open. He who has an ear, let him hear what the, what the Spirit is saying to the church. Problem is, we've become deaf. We've become blind. And number, four, number five, draw me to yourself so that I may know you. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Great scripture. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Listen, many of us that have been in church, we know that there are three Greek words for, there's four Greek words for love uh, in, in, in the Greek. There's eros, which is physical love. Then there's philio, which is um, uh, relational love, storge, family love. And then there's agape. Agape is, the, is a covenant love. It's the deepest kind of love. So here the Word of God says, listen, it says, for the Father loves the Son. Which word, which Greek word is there for the word love? Which one is it? Is it, is it you know, whatever, philios, storge, agape. Most of us would think it's agape. The word is actually phileo. For the Father loves the Son and shows it. For the Father loves the Son they're best friends and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Listen, we are children of God. One of the great revelations, we are children of God. 
And the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you and me, He wants us to become friends. Friends. He wants us to become friends. It's the greatest, the greatest, the greatest kind of relationship we can have with God is to become friends. The Father loves the Son. They become friends and shows Him all He does. Yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these so that you'll be amazed. I pray that we would know God in a greater way. Will you stand with me? Worship team, come. Winky Pratney said, when God finds someone with courage to pray, preach, live a life before Him of holiness and compassion, He can literally change the face of a nation. If we're going to see revival in our city, it begins with you and me. And while I'm challenged to believe for a nationwide revival, what my heart longs for more than anything else is to see an awakening in my life in our life, in our church. I tell you, one of the burdens of my heart as a leader, here's what I see. I see the next generations coming up. I see a generation of young people. I see a generation of children. We've got some of the finest young people and, and, and in, 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 in our church. They're just an amazing group of people. And I see kids coming up. They're amazing. But listen, every generation needs to experience a move of God for themselves. If they do not experience a move of God for themselves, they will begin to drift away from God. They cannot stay or stand on their parents' or grandparents' revelation of God. They need one for themselves. And I pray that we as a church would make a covenant to seek God with eagerness, with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, that we will cry out to God today and say, Lord, awake my soul. I want more of you. I want more of your presence. I want to go deeper with you and together see God moving in an extraordinary way. What hope is there for the world we're living in today? What hope? I tell you, the hope of the world is Jesus. He's the answer. He's the answer to the problems in the world we're living in today. Only Jesus can transform the human heart. Only Jesus can deal with the deepest issues of humankind. And that message of transformation, the gospel has been given to the church. And in a very real way, that makes the church, you and me, the hope of the world. It's the church that's going to pray. It's not the government that's going to pray. They're trying to take prayer out. They're trying to take the word out of of parliament. It's the church that's going to pray. The universities are not going to pray. The school systems are not going to pray. It's the church that's going to pray. And in a very real sense, that makes the church, you and me, the hope of the world. Nothing more exciting, more powerful than to see God move amongst these people. I pray that would be you and me. I pray that would be this church, that we would covenant together to seek God and see God move in a way that we have never seen before by His grace and for His glory. How many people would say an amen? Come on. How many people would say an amen to that? Come on. I tell you, I read this book. It just, I just said, well, this is it, man. Why? There are so many different ways to pray. Because we need to pray. <laughs> we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. Thank God for everything we've got. But we need, we, need, we, need to, we need to pray. And we need to seek God. Because we need God like never before. Will you sing with me as we bring this service to a close? You know, the old temple um, had sections. The outer courts, it was the outside of the temple. Then there was the inner courts, there was the 
inner area and then in the midst of that there was the holy place and then after the holy place was the holy of holies you know as a church we're going to decide where we sit in relation to the presence of God we can either sit in the outer courts and kind of just watch at a distance what's happening we're near the temple we're near the presence but you know we're kind of at a distance or we can go one step further and be in the inner courts where we're one step closer to the presence but still not quite there or we can go in the holy place that's not bad that's pretty close they're gonna actually something's gonna shift something's gonna change but I don't know about you but I'm not satisfied with any of those want to enter into the Holy of Holies. Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn in two. So we could enter into the Holy of Holies through Jesus Christ. I don't want to just sit on the outside somewhere. I want to enter into. I pray as a church, come on. We will together covenant, that we will make a covenant together. We're not satisfied with the outer. No, we're not. We're going to enter into the Holy of Holies. We're willing to pay the price. Whatever it costs us, Lord, we're going to pay the price. Well, I don't care what it costs. We're going to pay the price. We're going to move in and experience the presence of God. Because this generation needs it. Our world needs it more than ever. Thank you, Father, for this group of people. Just powerful, powerful. Just great sense of your presence here. I just pray that a burden would fall on our, on us, Lord God. That the burden of the Lord would, would fall on us. We would start to feel the weight and the burden of what's happening in the world. We would feel it, Lord God. We would start carrying your burden. And as a result, it would bring us to our knees to cry out to you. I pray this word isn't just going to be a good sermon. I pray it's going to be a a, a message that's going to change something inside of us. It's going to cause us to respond in some way. And because of that, we will see the glory of God. We'll see the enemy put to shame. The glory of God manifest amongst us. This is our prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen and Amen. Come on. God is good.